was that? All right. Welcome. We are happy that you are here. I'm going to say this is Mike and this is Matt and this is Ben over here. Let's see if I got any of them right this time. Huss, don't shake your head, dude. I think I got at least one. All I right. think you got zero. Uh, I think you so pointed to a heard... no people. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, so I heard from quite a few people uh, that they're listening to this Bible study. I was super encouraged. So uh, calling out more individuals, I feel like that's gotten us quite a few more listeners because they're like, whoa, this is getting risque. What if I get called out and I don't listen? <laughs> And then I don't get the chance at getting a Mike Hussey dollar bill. So, so tonight may, or for today's show, maybe we should like start calling people out more and then Michael just start sending people dollars in the mail. What do we think about that? So let's see, I'm going to call out, um, Nathaniel Nash. And we'll see, we'll see what he says. So we'll let you guys call out some people uh, as we get the study going. But we're happy to have you here. This is the third episode. So if you haven't listened to episode one or two, where we're laying down a foundation for the book of Revelation, which is the Bible study that we're going to be starting in a couple weeks, uh, we would encourage you to stop this recording and to scroll down a little bit further from wherever you are watching from or message one of us. Uh, and we would be happy to get you the link to an earlier episode if you missed it. So we've been laying down uh, quite a bit of foundation and today we come to um, the third installment, which is going to be who is Israel. And so today we're going to be talking about that. We're going to give you a lot of scriptural basis for um, why we're positing who Israel is. And we think that uh, you guys will be uh, encouraged by it as we continue through the study. I do want to let you guys know that there is uh, quite a bit of information that's going to be coming at you. So don't hesitate. Like, it's cool that these are being recorded. You don't have to listen to it all in one shot. You can give it a listen. You can pause it. You can go do something else. Come on back. Give it another listen. Uh, or you can even rewind stuff and rewind. Ugh, do people still use rewind or no? What, do you, what would you say? Instead I would say of rewind. rewind. Oh, I you would? Okay, rewind. okay. All right. Uh, you the know, non-literal rewinding. The, right. That the click, <laughs> the click to rewind, as opposed to, you know, those eight track players where good oh, luck buddy. getting anywhere in that thing. Um, so, yeah. So don't hesitate. Like if you're getting overloaded with information, you feel like you're drinking from a fire hose, you need to, to just pause and take a little bit of time or come back to it another day. You are more than welcome to do that. There is quite a bit of information, but we want to get it to you so that when we begin through the book of Revelation, uh, we have that already as kind of like our base uh, for what we're going to study as we move forward. So I think that's all the announcements that I have. Other than Mike Hussey, uh, you're great, and I appreciate you as a human being. I heard from someone the other day that I'm a little tough on you and that they think that I should. Was it my you... mom? Did my mom it actually, call you? It actually wasn't your mom. Uh, <laughs> I, I would have appreciated that. 
uh, it was actually somebody else. And they said, Hey, you're really tough on Mike, but you don't really give it to anybody else. And I was like, well, I guess I'll have to give him one compliment. So that was your single compliment. You will not get another one uh, until next class. I don't expect and the, the other thing that was pretty funny was that I almost thought about, well, if they think that I'm like purposefully picking on you, then I would just pick on Matt and Ben more. And then I was like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> so I just figured I'd give you one compliment and then we would move forward and uh and we would be good to go if if you didn't pick on me i would assume you didn't like me anymore it's the way you show love is it i think so yeah so mike doesn't love ben and i that's what i'm saying yeah ouch (laughs) wow and on that note i'm gonna ask matt to open us in prayer before we get started all right uh lord we thank you for another opportunity to dig into your word and uh, it does feel like we're drinking from a fire hose sometimes uh, as we uh, get bombarded with lots of information. And sometimes it feels overwhelming um, and confusing with different things. And one of the issues that uh, a lot of us struggle with is understanding who Israel is in the Bible. And uh, and so we just ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand that we would see what your plan is and and what we're supposed to uh, understand and apply from this message in scripture about Israel. And so may your Holy Spirit be uh, helping our minds to understand, but also penetrating uh, deep into our hearts, Lord, that we might uh, be living in repentance and faith uh, and experiencing the peace and joy uh, that we get from your love and, and the message of your scriptures. And so help us now, uh, guide this time, and, and be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So today we're talking about who Israel is. And uh, I think there are a couple of different layers to the answer that we're going to come to. Um, The first one, I think, is going to be kind of the most obvious, right? We know historically that there was a person named Abraham. And God gave promises, wonderful promises to Abraham to make him into a great nation, to bless him to make him a blessing to the entire world, to all the nations of the earth. And it's through that line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob um, that we kind of can answer the first layer of this question. Through that bloodline that started with Abraham and God's promises uh, came a people. Um, And when we talk about Israel, often we talk about that people. Um, Go by other names too, Jewish people, the Hebrew people. Um, Ben, who's that way, actually uh, has uh, Jewish blood, right, Ben? Yes, I do, 50%. So he would be part of that uh, first layer, that first definition of uh, uh, um, Israel as we're talking about it. Um, But there's a lot more to this question, isn't there? There's a lot more about Israel that we need to discuss. This really can't just be the close of our our video. Everyone descended from Abraham is, is Israel, it's over, right? Yay. All right. We actually made it within the time frame. Good job, guys. <clears throat> yeah, there is a lot more to it than necessarily meets the eye at first. And so, um, you know, and I would, I would argue that uh, the use of Israel in, in the scriptures to refer to the physical people is really actually more of a secondary uh, usage and that scripture speaks a lot more about um, a, a very different thing, which we will attempt to lay out uh, 
in this episode. So um, I guess beginning to, to try to begin to do that, um, we should go right back to the beginning in Genesis. All right. So um, in the first three chapters of Genesis, you know, there are no uh, Jewish people at this time. There's just Adam and Eve. Right. And we see that, you know, Adam and Eve, they live before God and they are righteous before him by faith. And this might be a new thought to um, to some. A lot of times I think we conceive of Adam and Eve uh, living before God in righteousness on the basis of their works. Um, but first and foremost, they they believe God's word. He speaks to them and their obedience is evidence of that faith. So God gives to Adam and Eve, you know, the command don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And uh, Luther has a pretty neat insight on this when he describes that tree as the altar at which Adam and Eve worship, so that every time they would walk by that tree and not eat from it, they were worshiping God. They were trusting his word, and they were obedient to his command out of that faith. Um, and where that faith really comes into sharp contrast, I think, is when we have the entrance of the serpent, right? So <clears throat> the serpent comes with a different word, right? And, you know, tells, you know, Eve basically, you know, questions what God said and then basically ends in a flat out lie, right? You won't actually die if you eat of this fruit. God's actually just a big, you know, selfish meanie and doesn't want you to be like him, right? That's basically the lie of, of the serpent. And they believe that word and they eat from the tree. You know, again, we often think of the initial, you know, the sin of origin, as it were, of grabbing the fruit from the tree and eating it. Um, but that's really a, a fruit itself of the sin of unbelief, which has already crept into them. They failed to trust God's word and they believed the lie of the serpent. And so right at the beginning, right from the outset, we see uh, faith and unbelief. And we see faith connected to righteousness before God and unbelief connected to unrighteousness before God. Um, and this is really important because this is going to show up again and again and again through the entire scriptures. Um, and so after that, you know, God seeks out Adam and Eve, right? He and, and, you know, God doesn't ask Adam where he is because he doesn't know. He's asking Adam where he is as an opportunity to repent of his sin, right? Um, and right on the heels of the fall, this is a really, you know, just fascinating thing for us to think about too, is like right, right in the midst of it, they had just sinned and ran away from God. God finds them and he gives them a promise, right? He says, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So there we have the very first promise of a coming savior, right? And so, so we have this, this whole all this stuff is here, faith and unbelief tied to righteousness and unrighteousness before God. Uh, we have the call for repentance and the promise of the coming Savior. And this is long, long, long before there ever is um, a Jewish people. And so the scope of this is by nature universal. And so that's what we see going on in Genesis 1 through 3. Is there anything else you guys wanted to mention along those lines? I think that it maybe is important to like see why you're emphasizing what you're emphasizing here because some people uh have attached you know a lot of beliefs about 
you know, Israel and their place in salvation history and, and what things we're supposed to understand about the nation of Israel. And just pointing out that this is before there was an Israel, um, you know, the nation of Israel and these things that this stuff was happening. And, and that's why it's a universal thing. And so this is like more foundational, but also um, you're showing then that we need to be building our understanding about Israel and everything else from the Bible, right? And see what is it that the Bible emphasizes? What's the message um, of, of the scriptures? And going right to the very beginning of this, with these foundational things, it sets the tone for the purpose of the scriptures and what the, the themes are and, and all of these things, because we're going to be able to see that this actually um, continues in the same ways through, through the whole Bible. Um, And so we always have to get our, our understanding of things and, and to be able to interpret from the Bible and to be able to interpret the things of revelation and about uh, the prophecies about Israel and these things, we need to be um, seeing how the Bible sets the stage and, and, and uh, teaches us how to interpret these things. Yeah. I suppose I, I I said at the beginning too, this is, this is kind of an inductive approach to this topic. So instead of saying, here's my conclusion and then explain why we have a particular conclusion. Um, we're kind of building, as you're saying, Matt, from the, from the scriptures themselves, kind of seeing the progressive revelation of God as he continues to reveal himself throughout uh, the old Testament and so on. Um, and so if there are some questions or maybe you're like, where are you going with this? Well, hang on. Hopefully it'll make sense in a little bit as we, we get there. We will land the plane eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so bear with us. Hopefully it will make sense. All right. Let's, you got something you want, Hus? Well, I was just going to say that the theme that we've already seen in Genesis 1 through 3 about, um, you know, faith and unbelief, um, connected with righteousness and un- unrighteousness is going to be a theme that you guys already said is going to continue throughout scripture, but we even continue to see it unfolding just in the next chapters of Genesis, right? Because um, chapters four through six, we start dealing not just with Adam and Eve, but they start having kids and kids that are now born with sin natures, right? And they start yeah. doing sinful kid things. And uh, it gets pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, starting in Genesis 4, so we had the birth of, of Cain, right? The firstborn of Adam and Eve. And, you know, we can see that, you know, they, they do trust God's promise, right? I mean, Eve names her firstborn Cain, or in Hebrew, Cain, um, which means I've gotten a man, the Lord, right? She was expecting God's promise to come true in her firstborn son, right? And so even though Cain was clearly not the Messiah, um, Eve demonstrated- Gave you that idea, Ben. Are you sure, Ben? (laughs) What gave you that idea, Ben? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. You murdered his brother. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'd say those are just grounds. (laughs) So. So even though, you know, even though Eve's timing is wrong, her faith is well demonstrated. Right. So they have another son, Abel, right? And 
I mean, you can tell even a bit too in in some of their names too. Avel, my father is God, or God is my father, kind of a a thing um, that Adam and Eve are teaching their children <laughs> what they learned from God. Um, and Abel was righteous through faith. The author of Hebrews tells us this. He tells us that. Um, that Abel's sacrifice is accepted by God, whereas Cain's is not, is because Abel offered his sacrifice in faith, whereas Cain did not do so. And so, again, a lot of times we, you know, there's a lot of speculation about, you know, the two sacrifices and some say, oh, Cain didn't give the best or whatever, but that's not really what's going on. Um, and the author here is very clear about that. Abel offered his sacrifice in faith toward God, and Cain did not. So we have that continuation then of faith and unbelief and their tie to righteousness and unrighteousness before God or acceptance and not acceptance. And, and Ben, just yeah. like you mentioned with, uh, with the taking of the fruit on the tree, you know, that wasn't the sin. The sin was unbelief. It was trusting the words of Satan over the words of God. We see, you know, Abel bringing the fat portions, all the good stuff, and, and Cain maybe not bringing the best stuff. And that would simply be a fruit of, you know, belief versus unbelief in the same way that it was with Adam and Eve taking that, right? Sure. If it was the case that, that he didn't give of the, the best of the field or whatever, certainly that would be a, a fruit of unbelief. Um, but even if he gave the best of the, of the fruit of the field, if he gave it without faith, it was not acceptable. So does that answer your question? Yeah, it tracks. Okay. All right, so, you know, then, as we noted, Cain murders Abel, right? And so Adam and Eve have another son named Seth, and, you know, Eve regards Seth as a, another son from God to replace Abel, right? And, and we have basically what we see in Genesis leading up to the flood is we have this godly line of Seth, who are called the sons of God, and uh, later on, and so they are people who trust in God, they have God's promise, they believe him, and later they will mix together with what are called the daughters of men or the children of Cain. We do not trust the Lord. And this brings about rampant evil on the earth, right? And God says, I'm going to purge it all with the flood, right? But we have one guy who basically is spoken of as having favor with God, right? We have Noah. He's a righteous man. He has favor with God. And again, Hebrews tells us that Noah was a man of faith trusting the word of God. This is why he built the ark in the middle of dry ground um, and looked like a fool to everyone else around him. But he did so because he believed God's promise. And he preached to the people of the coming judgment and they refused to listen. Um, but Noah was a man who trusted God, right? So we, here we have again, faith versus unbelief, right? And so... Again, we, we don't have a Jewish nation at this time. Um, and yet we see that there are those who are righteous or saved uh, before God and those who are not. And the difference is faith or unbelief. And so kind of the point with this too is it's not, you know, acceptance before God is not based on physical descent. It's not based on a particular bloodline, but on faith or unbelief. Is that making sense? It is. Yeah. Right, well, Do you guys want to add to that section? So you were you were sharing names of uh, what you know the names of the children and Seth is uh, similar. The 
the name Seth is similar to the Hebrew word for appointed, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, that was again, continuing the idea that he was appointed to that um, promise to the plan of God to bring about mm-hmm. the, the seed of Eve, the Messiah. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, continuing that idea of uh, trusting in the promise and that mm-hmm. message. Yeah. And so in there you'd have also later on down the line, Enoch, who is famous for being one of the only couple guys in scripture that go to heaven without dying. Right. He walked with God and he was not because God took him. Right. So we have, we have the presence of righteous people and they are righteous by faith. Yeah. Mm. And yes, this is going somewhere. Yeah, it's not just random thoughts. <laughs> All right. Well, we've talked about Genesis uh, one through eleven. This is the time before there is a Jewish people, right? We've talked about how righteousness worked, salvation worked. Uh, why don't we get into a little later in Genesis and one of my favorite Old Testament characters? There's a little song. You guys ready to join me? Oh yeah, here we go. Father Abraham had many sons. It, <laughs> singing together on zoom doesn't work it was so much more fun to just watch you make a fool of yourself (laughs) so right right there we have mike natal and he you know graduated from penn state with a degree right arm left vocal performance or something and then you got nelson who was a musician and his dad actually was like in charge of the choirs at the bible school we both went to and then you've got me who can barely turn on the radio leading the song so Good job. Let's get into this guy, Abraham. You know, Father Father Abraham Abraham had many sons. Oh, no. I thought, see, I was joining in to sing with you, and you Uh, failed me. uh -uh, uh -uh. This is the worst. But here's here's the thing, though, right? Uh, Abraham was not born Jewish, was he? Abraham was just a a dude. Um, He was not born the first Jew, but was instead made the first Jewish person, um, by a promise from God. So uh, what he, was he? Well, he was a descendant of Shem, right? So you have yep. the three sons of Noah, yep. Ham, Japheth, and Shem, right? And, and Ham committed evil against his father and brought down curses upon himself and his son Canaan. But he right? does Who's make a really word? good lunch meat, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Japheth kind of drops off the of the story because the the focus is narrowing, right? So we have a more general promise at the beginning, the seed of Eve, right? The seed of the woman. And as we go along, the the scope gets narrower and narrower, right? So it's starting to narrow quite a bit. It's going to come to Abraham. But Abraham, as was mentioned, he is not Jewish. Remember that, um, as we mentioned at the beginning, that it's the Jewish people themselves come from, it has to be three people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we'll flesh that out in a bit, but it's those three, right? So Abraham himself is not born a Jewish man. He is a Middle Eastern pagan. He lives in Ur of the Chaldeans, so kind of over in the area of, of Babylon and so on, um, by the modern-day Iraq and, and such. So he's a Middle Eastern guy. He's a pagan right? He is worshiping false gods. And God comes to Abraham and he calls him out of his pagan idolatry, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, you know, the story is quite familiar to us, right? You know, 
basically come out of your country and from your kindred and go to this land that I'll show you. And Abraham goes, uh, not knowing where he was going. And again, the author of Hebrews tells us that Abraham did this by faith. He trusted God's promise and he went where God uh, directed him. And then God gives him the promise that in his offspring or in his seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so at this point, I think we should pause and talk about Abraham's offspring. All right. So um, a lot of times we often just think that scripture is simply talking about the Jewish people who would come uh, from Abraham's line. But let's, uh, let's think about it a little, a little more. Ben, if I could just jump in for a second oh, to yeah. set the tone a little bit for how important this is. If you think about the fact that, um, that I mean, we were just having fun singing that song, Father Abraham. As Christians, we, we trace our heritage back to Abraham, right? But obviously the Jews do, and they call him Father Abraham, and he's a big deal to them. And so that there's a, a reason for Abraham being a point of our focus. Jesus focused on it. The Pharisees were focusing on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Abraham is an important deal for how we understand all of this. And um, even the Muslims claim Abraham. And so like the, he's an important guy to talk about. Understanding what actually happened with Abraham sets the stage for a lot of other things and how we understand them. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. All right. So, okay. Let's see if we can lay this out. So in scripture, we see it once again, that the Jewish people come not just from Abraham, but Abraham and Isaac, and not only Abraham and Isaac, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's again, that's, I keep talking about that because that's really important. I think that there is a very particular reason why Jesus often, um, and, you know, God in the Old Testament and Jesus will refer to himself in this way as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think the trio is super important <laughs> um, and it ties into this stuff too. Okay, so the reason why this matters is because Jacob is renamed by God Israel, right? So this is Genesis 32, I believe. Jacob wrestles with, with God himself um, and God renames <laughs> him Israel, which means, you know, one who strives with God, right? Um, and so that's where we get the term Israelites, right? They are descendants of Jacob. <clears throat> okay. And the name Jew comes from one of Jacob's sons, Judah, right? So we have that, that connection there. Let's break it down some more, shall we? Abraham had more than one son, right? He had Ishmael and Isaac, and he also had a number of other kids after Sarah died. He had other wives and he had other children. Okay. So just thinking about these things, Ishmael and these other children that uh, were born to Abraham had the same claim to physical descent as Isaac. There was nothing distinctive about that. They were all born from Abraham, right? Ishmael could say, Abraham's my father. I am descended by blood from Abraham. So could Isaac. So could all of Abraham's other children after Sarah died. And yet it's through Isaac that the Jews will be named. So what's so different about Isaac? Certainly, you know, it's not simply that, you know, he's flesh and blood of Abraham. Again, there were more than, more than Isaac could claim that. The difference is that Isaac is the child of promise, right? And the one to whom the promise of God concerning his Messiah would come. It's super important. And this will become crazy important when we get to the New Testament as Paul comments on these things. But 
Isaac is the child of promise. That's what sets him apart. Faith in the promise of God, God's gracious promise given, right? Okay, so let's go down to the next generation then. Isaac, well, he had more than one kid too, right? He had Jacob and Esau. Esau could claim just as much physical descent and bloodline from Isaac and Abraham as Jacob, right? They had the Not same. Not only that, he was the firstborn too. Right. Mm-hmm. He had the physical. He had the physical claim. He even had pride of place as the firstborn. But yet, it's Jacob through whom the Jews are named. Right. Jacob's the recipient of the promise of Messiah, and he is one also who trusts that promise, okay? And this is passed on to his children, which will become the Jewish people, right? We think of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob is Israel. He gives that name, and his 12 sons make up the 12 tribes, right? And so what we see then really is that the Jewish people themselves are created or brought into existence by the promise of God. There's no sacred bloodline that runs through from Adam and Eve all the way down. That's some, you know, extra special bloodline out of whom the, the Jews come, but they're, they're created brought from nothing really into existence by the promise of God, by God's gracious choice of Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob specifically. Um, because that's the line of promise. And so the Jewish people stand in their very creation as a result of God's promise. Okay? And that's really important for us to note. Um, and, and we should note, too, that, you know, along with, you know, it wasn't, what am I trying to say? Uh, a lot of things running around in my mind. Um, it wasn't by any merit or demerit uh, on Jacob or Esau's part, right? So it wasn't that Jacob did something and so earned that uh, earned the the promise of God, you know, or blessing of God. It wasn't that Esau did something wrong. And so that's why it passed to Jacob. But, but as the scriptures teach us before any did anything right or wrong, God chose Jacob and said, the older will will serve the younger. Right. And he passes his promise on to Jacob. And so, you know, we have to, I mean, that's, that's important for us to keep in, in mind, because if we're just talking about physical descent, then we have a whole lot of claims. Ishmael can claim that. Uh, Abraham's other children can claim that. Uh, Esau can claim that. So, so what in the world is, you know, if, if it's just descent, physical descent, then we have all kinds of different claims. How, can, how could the, the Jewish people claim anything in particular if it's simply blood of Abraham, right? It's got to be more than right. that. And I, I think, too, it's important to point that out, that it's God's promise made to those individuals. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that really puts a different spin and perspective on stuff. Cause as you move forward through scripture, I mean, you don't have to go very far, but you see like all the failures that each one of those individuals, those descendants, those people who are in the lineage of Christ, you're going to see each one of them stumble and fall flat on their face as the sinner that they are. And you're going to see that the one thing that continues to track forward is God's promise, which has nothing to do with them as individuals, but that God chose them for that purpose. And, and that goes to what you were saying, Ben, about how it gets credited to them as righteousness. That, and and that is, that's one of the most important things. And I feel like that's an important thing for us, too, to understand that it is God who is doing the work. Um, and not us. We're, we're not the ones at work. We are the ones 
that are the recipients. And so I think that it's good to be able to track that from Genesis all the way to Revelation that literally the only person who is the one that scripture is pointing to is Christ. Everybody else, sinners, failures, uh, still able to be used, which is great, but ultimately they're there to point to the goodness of God, which is found in Christ. So I like that. Thank you for bringing that up, Ben. Can you imagine if the only examples we had in the Old Testament were uh, a bunch of perfect people that never sinned and never did anything wrong? We'd look back at the Old Testament, we'd read it, and we'd go, oh, well, apparently I am not good enough to be saved, and I'm probably just going to hell, and uh, why do I even care? Um, So it's it's a blessing to be given that. You think, too, about the validity of the document of Scripture in general. And you'd think, man, they literally could have written anything if they wanted to. And instead, they were inspired by God to write the actual account of not doing the right thing all the time. Or I think about Peter and I was like, man, oh, man, if I was Peter, I'd have maybe rewrote something to make myself look a little bit better. But instead, he goes, it's not about me. It's about Christ, and and he's going to be the focal point, not me. I'm going to show you how many times I failed and how great Jesus was to me in response. But, like, man, it's it's good. It's good. It's great to have scripture that's that's true and honest. Yeah, It's not propaganda. I mean, if, like mm-hmm. you're saying, if, if this was some kind of religious propaganda trying to just promote Judaism or Christianity or whatever, uh, people would have written this a lot different. Moses, he yeah. wouldn't have told about him killing that Egyptian. He wouldn't Mm -hmm. have told him about him saying no to God. I'm too afraid to talk, you know, all that stuff. Um, So it's a humbling book and, um, and it definitely points us somewhere else. I love the Jesus storybook Bible. Again, I mentioned that before, but you know, it's in the opening parts of that. It says, you know, a lot of people think this, this book is a, a book about a bunch of heroes and and really it's not they all these other people screwed up but it's about Mm. one hero and it's pointing towards him nice yeah so all right so let's talk about that passage um where god gives the promise to abraham and his seed okay so um we should note in that uh, that seed is singular. You know, um, again, a lot of times what we think of is, oh, Abraham's offspring. Well, that means the Jewish people. Um, but then we find out, well, that's actually singular. It's not plural. It's not seeds or offsprings, but singular. But sometimes we can understand a whole group of people as a singular, uh, singular noun, right? We, mm. we do yeah. that all the time. You know, one singular group, but it could have numerous people in it, right? But if we look at the the way the Hebrew grammar runs in this uh, passage in Genesis 12, seed is very s- specifically a single person. And um, if you're at all interested in in doing a further examination of this, pick up the book uh, "Prepare the Way of the Lord" by Reed Lessing and Andrew Steinman. Um, there it is. Their match nice. to you. Uh, they have an excellent treatment of this in their book there in Genesis. Um, but seed is singular. It's a single person. It's super important because that's exactly what St. Paul says in Galatians chapter four, 
right? God didn't give the promise to Abraham and to multiple seeds or multiple descendants, but to one single person, and that is Jesus. So that is huge uh, for our understanding because so often we hear, you know, things like, oh, well, God will never go back on his promise to Israel or God hasn't, you know, abandoned the promises he made to Abraham. Well, no, of course he hasn't, but we have to understand that his promises are in Christ. Christ is the seed to whom the promise is made. And that's St. Paul's point, all right? And, and that's exactly what's going on here in, in Genesis, that the promise in particular is made to Abraham and to his single offspring, Jesus. Okay? That's huge, all right? Because that's going to come up again and again and again. And if we get that wrong, then we go all kinds of crazy different ways than where Scripture drives us to go. All right? So... Mm the seed of Abraham is Jesus himself. Okay. So all of the promises of God are in Christ. That's what we need to, to get very clear in our, in our minds and our thinking when we think about this. That's intense. Like camping. Was it? I said like camping. Mm. intense like camping i'm not gonna go there because i know because i know that i'm gonna hear i know like oh i'm gonna hear it from the individual wow you're being really mean to mike again in this episode so i'm just gonna bite my tongue and not say anything just go for it nope you're good man just go for it man no it's all good Uh uh-huh all right (laughs) sticking with abraham yeah (laughs) if you haven't uh noticed right abraham's a pretty big deal and the Old Testament, right? And like, so he's like the Ron Burgundy of the Old Testament. You know, Ron Burgundy. He goes, "I'm kind of a big, I'm kind of a big deal, right?" Or no? Is that not? Yeah, no. Yeah, okay, yeah. great. All right, <laughs> moving on. Sorry, my bad. My bad. All right, so so back to Abraham in in Genesis 15, right? We mentioned this last time that God made a covenant with Abraham, right? Um, in which he put Abraham to, to sleep between the, or then God passed through the, the pieces of animals that he had Abraham cut apart, right? And he gives mm-hmm. a promise of descendants to Abraham. And this time he's speaking of many descendants. And he says, you know, as many as the sand of the sea or the stars of heaven, right? So, and then in verse six, which is really important, tells us that Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness, right? So once again, we have faith and righteousness before God connected together, right? So again, at this time, uh, you know, we don't have a particular Jewish nation at this point. We just have Abraham, and he believes God and is counted to him as righteousness. So this is setting, uh, this is setting the tone once again. And, and later on, uh, 430 years after God gives this promise to Abraham, we have uh, the covenant at Sinai, right? And the giving of mm. the law. And uh, St. Paul, again, makes it very clear that the, that the law coming after the promise doesn't annul the promise. So what he's saying is that it's still enforced that people are righteous before God by faith. Okay. So not by bloodline, but by faith. Not by physical descent, but by faith. Um, Abraham wasn't counted righteous because he had super special blood. Um, he was counted righteous because have faith. And this again was prior also to circumcision, as St. Paul will make a big deal about uh, later as well. 
Um, and so we have so far um, from Adam and Eve all the way down to, you know, to Noah, down through Shem to Abraham, and then passing on to Isaac and also to Jacob, we have this consistent, uh, constant theme of faith and righteousness before God are connected. Unbelief and unrighteousness are connected. And so the way that one is saved, the way one is accepted by God is through faith. And the way that one ends up rejected by God is through refusing to believe God and his word. Okay. That's, that's what's at play here. It's really not about who's physically descended from who that really doesn't come much into the whole thing. It's really faith and unbelief. It's God giving a promise. Do you believe the promise or do you reject it in unbelief? It's really, that's, that's as simple as it gets. Which is good because then it, it sets a standard. You, you know what the parameter is. You know what I mean? Like I find comfort in the fact that the parameter has never changed. That what God expects is the same for everyone across the board, which is great. But maybe that's just me. And also, I think, you know, that a lot of people seem to <clears throat> caught up in, in all of these other complicated things and worrying yeah. about, about them. Um, like, oh, man, do I need to be a part of a certain family, certain people group to have God's favor? Do I need to... Um, be a part of certain um, rituals and and all of these things practices uh, do I need to have certain works follow the law a certain way um, in, in order to gain God's favor but to know that Abraham here um, he was counted as righteous before God even though he wasn't a Jew even though he wasn't you know he didn't have some family that that had him be a part of the in group, right? Mm -hmm. He hadn't done mm -hmm. any rituals or special religious practices. He hadn't obeyed the law. He hadn't been counted righteous by, by good deeds or, or obedience or any of these things. But instead um, it was because he had faith. He just believed the promise of God. And so uh, to know that, which sounds very new Testament, doesn't it? Sounds very much like what we're, um, offered as Christians that, you know, if we, if we believe in Jesus, we are counted righteous. And, and that sounds awfully similar to what Abraham was going through here, that he had faith in the Messiah, the promise of God, and he was counted righteous, even though he didn't check all these other boxes that people seem to want you to have to check, or that maybe they feel like somebody else's uh, putting those burdens and and on them or making them jump through all these hoops to be saved, but it's pretty simple, and that's like you said, Mike. That's really actually encouraging and relieving. Yep, I love the continuity, as long as you're willing to to see it, it's there. You know, yeah. so and yeah. and to your point, Matt, it makes a whole lot of sense that it sounds very uh, like the New Testament because that's exactly what the New Testament is saying. This is how it's always been. <laughs> so. but it's, it's nice that we built that that framework sort of from the beginning of genesis because i don't know about you guys but i grew up when i'd read old testament stuff and hear about all the sacrifice in the temple i grew up believing that people in the old testament were saved because they you know like killed animals that it was about mm. the actual killing of an animal would pay the price for their sins and it wasn't what they believed it was the action of doing the sacrifice but no 
that's a it's a fruit trusting the promise of God um, and sacrificing as he has commanded which of course points ahead to a much greater sacrifice um, which, which came in the Messiah which came in Christ so just having that understanding from the first bit of Genesis is going to help us properly frame up and understand any of the Old Testament stuff we read that might seem a little different and confusing in the way they worship because we can remember that it was always based on on faith in the promise of the Messiah in Christ who would come pay the price for our sins. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, we continue to see this throughout uh, the Old Testament. Um, you know, faith and unbelief and their ties to righteousness and unrighteousness before God show up again and again. You know, Hebrews, again, tells us that Moses rejected the life in Egypt and joined the people of Israel because he trusted God's promise um, by faith. The Passover and the Exodus was brought about by faith in God's promise. You know, if anyone, Egyptians included, uh, who maybe if they overheard or they were, you know, Moses speaking to the people and they believed God's promise of the judgment that was coming and that the blood of the lamb would save them, and they put it on the doorposts, they would have been saved. If any Israelite would have rejected that promise and not put the blood on, their, on the doorpost, their firstborn would have died. Their physical descent meant nothing in that. They weren't going to be saved because they were uh, blood of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, their firstborn would only be saved if in faith they obeyed and put the blood over their doorposts, right? So we have faith and unbelief. And again, we have the giving of the Old Covenant on Mount Sinai. It's still based in faith. It is founded on God's gracious action on behalf of the people, taking them out of Egypt. And we also see that on the way to the promised land, uh, that there are those physical Israelites who perish in the wilderness under God's judgment, right? They spent 40 extra years in the wilderness. Why? Because they failed to believe God's promise, right? Um, and the only, the only two that made it into the land of Canaan who didn't die in the wilderness of that generation were Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they trusted God's promise, right? Uh, we have many who die in Korah's rebellion, a rebellion founded in unbelief, right? And many who perish uh, by being bitten by venomous snakes, right? And their only, the only remedy to that is to look in faith in God's promise toward the bronze snake that Moses set up, right? So we have, again, faith and unbelief. And so, yeah. Um, then if I could jump in for a second, just to uh, highlight a little bit about that. I, in, uh, at our church, we've been, um, or our congregations, we've been uh, in a preaching series about the promise uh, through the Pentateuch and, and, uh, or the Torah. And uh, right now we've been in Exodus, and one of the really cool things that you see there is God's concern for the Egyptians. And as he's doing all these plagues and different things, uh, God continues to reveal that that uh, his intention is not only to save his people uh, who trust in his promise, but also that he would reveal his glory to the Egyptians, um, and and that and you see God being concerned about them. So like with the plague of hail, God is actually warning them because this is now escalating to the point where people could lose their life. Not, it's not just something that pests, like a pest that bothers them, um, but people could actually die in the hail. And God is telling even the Egyptians and their servants to get out of the way of this hail and to find shelter because God is concerned about them and uh, and to think that 
that even they, the Egyptians or anybody who would, who would trust the promise of God and, and, uh, and follow his word that they could have found shelter in the houses under the blood of the lamb. And that, mm. that when they go through the red sea, that they uh, were a mixed multitude. They were not just pure blooded Jews or Israelites. They, there was a mixed group that had trusted the promise, but they were actually considered a part of the Israelites then as they were brought through the red sea, even though they were a mixed multitude. Um, and so, again, emphasis on faith in the promise of God, uh, defining who the people of Israel are. Good stuff. This is good stuff. Yeah. Like, as, as you lay it out, I know we're, we're really doing like a flyby type thing. Like, we just, mm -hmm. we literally just glossed over uh, almost two books. Um, and it's kind of good though, to see that perspective of like how it's moving and that it's always the same, which is good. So, <clears throat> yeah. So along, along with that, um, we see also things, you know, under the old covenant, we see God saying things like, I hate your sacrifices and your feasts. Right. Um, and we might ask, well, why? Why would God say that? You know, he instituted them under the old covenant. They were his idea. So why would he hate them? Well, he doesn't hate them in themselves, but he hates the fact that they're done in unbelief, right? That's what he's really getting after is that the people of Israel, um, they're doing this stuff, just kind of external compliance, but there's no faith associated with it. We can remember all the way back, you know, Cain and Abel, right? The difference between the God's acceptance um, or not in regard to the sacrifices was a matter of faith and unbelief. It's the same thing here. Um, and so, you know, over and over again, we hear the constant, almost constant calls from God through his prophets and various servants for Israel to repent and to trust in him, right? You know, again, why would this matter if they're good with God because of physical descent? Clearly that's not what's at the forefront here. It's faith and unbelief. And, you know, uh, the author of Hebrews again, too, tells us that the saints of old, those under the old covenant and prior to it received their commendation by God on account of faith in his promise. Right. And again, that promise is Christ. And so, you know, this, this is something that's really important for us to understand that, you know, what we might think of, you know, today as Judaism is not the same thing as old Testament old covenant worship. Okay. Um, it's a very different thing. It's a, it's a completely different religion that rejects Christ as the son of God or rejects faith in Christ. The, the Old Testament saints, those under the Old Covenant, those Jews under uh, the Old Covenant who, um, you know, when they were doing rightly, they were trusting God's promise. Okay. When they received God's judgment is because they failed to trust his promise. And so all throughout it, it is about faith in God's promise. And that promise is in the coming Messiah to whom we shall turn now. Right. Well, we're going to skip over. I mean, we, we hit Genesis, Exodus. Now we're going to skip over a large chunk of the Old Testament, come to the book of Matthew. Um, and what we're skipping over, I'm going to tell you a couple of important things. It's about Jesus, and faith is still connected with righteousness and salvation throughout all of it. Promise. Go to any part. You'll find it there. So let's jump into Matthew 2. Uh, verses 13 through 15. 
Does anybody have this up? It's a pretty important passage as we talk about who Israel is. I can flip there if nobody's got it. I've learned better than to offer to read when you're asking me to. Will you read it out of the King James, please, Natal? No, sir, I will not. I've I've got it ready. I will read it. Proud of you. There you are again. Doing great, Mike. You're doing great. (laughs) So good. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill you. So she got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Yeah, this is fascinating. This is good stuff. So (laughs) the prophet that's being spoken of is the prophet Hosea, right? Yes, Hosea uh, 11.1. Hosea 11.1. 1. Does anybody have that passage and want to read that one too? Because it's important to get them both kind of in there. Yep, I got it. In their settings. All right. Hosea 11.1 1 says this. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Okay. Right, so. so what are we talking about there in Hosea chapter 11? When Israel was a child, out of Egypt, I called my son. That sounds like something that happened past tense, right? Yeah, it's talking about the Exodus, right? So God is speaking of of Israel and calls Israel his son. Uh, he does that also in, in Deuteronomy too. And he talks about how basically he carried Israel like a, like a son, like a child. Um, so he says, Israel is my son, right? And I have called him out of Egypt. So here we have the Exodus, right? And that's what Hosea is speaking of. So we have Israel as God's son coming out of Egypt, right? So what Matthew does with that is wild, right? He says the whole reason why Mary and Joseph and Jesus fled to Egypt to escape Herod was precisely so that this passage, this word of God, would be fulfilled. He says, out of Egypt I called my son. So what's going on here? Well, Matthew is clearly identifying Jesus with Israel, right? Israel called God's son called out of Egypt, who mirrors that in the story, in Matthew's rendering, Matthew's treatment of this? Christ, right? Jesus is called God's son. He's called out of Egypt, right? So Jesus is identified with Israel. And so he is, in a sense, redoing the Exodus. Why? Because Israel failed so miserably, right? Because we're a bunch of sinners. We do this, right? Israel failed, right, as a people, right? So one of the things that Messiah does is he takes the place of the people that he has come to save. And so, you know, and he does this by basically doing another Exodus, doing it right this time. And we see this too in, uh, in Luke, in the account of the transfiguration, when Jesus speaks of his coming death as his Exodus, right? So um, this is all tied in here. But so Matthew is identifying Jesus with Israel. He's saying Jesus is Israel, truly. And Jesus is truly God's son. If one is true, the other has to be true. We know without a doubt that Jesus is God's son. He's spoken of that way all the time and about himself and so on. So that also must mean that in Matthew's interpretation of Hosea, that Jesus is being identified also with Israel. So Jesus is truly Israel. He is truly the son of God. Thus, 
you know, in conclusion, then all who are in Christ by faith are Israel, the people of God, because we, what we are adopted into God's family. We become children of God, brothers and sisters of Christ. We share in his inheritance. We're in the same place uh, as Jesus. We have the same status. We are the children of God, sons of God. We then in Christ become what is truly meant by Israel, the people of God, the people who trust in Christ okay, and who are connected to him by faith. So that's kind of a, you know, imagine that, you know, Matthew writing to a Jewish audience and he drops that bomb on them, right? When they hear that <laughs> echo of Hosea and Matthew saying, actually, that's, you know, that's Jesus. He is Israel. He is the son of God. Here he is coming out of Egypt. Yeah. So, so Israel and the Exodus, they were a type or a picture of the true Israel, the true son of God who is coming forth from Egypt in this text. That this starts to blow everything up, doesn't it? I mean, now if you start thinking about, well, if, if Jesus is Israel, then what did he mean by, you know, the promise to Abraham that through his seed, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed and so on. And we start to think about, every one of those promises was about Jesus. All of the good things that they're said about Israel are about Jesus. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you step back and think about that too, doesn't it make sense? Like, like when you step back and think about that, you're like, Oh yeah. But up until it gets brought to your attention, it's just not something that you really think about. Mm -hmm. But then once it gets pointed out, you're like, Oh, that kind of brings everything together. Yeah. So especially yeah. connected to the promise, you know, to the seed of Abraham being a singular person, Jesus, you kind of have here, you know, the unifying factor in all of this is, is Christ. God's promise is always about Jesus. So to trust God's promise is to trust God is to trust Jesus. It's all the same. Mm. His word and himself are the same. Right. So, and the promises of God are all found in Christ. And so Jesus is the unifying factor in all of this, not, uh, not a particular physical line of people, but Christ mm. himself who happens to come through a particular line of people. Right. It makes so. me think back to some of the stuff I have read in the old Testament and go, Oh man, I was trying to like figure out how this worked in history with national Israel. And I was trying to work out all of this with that particular prophecy and now, then I'm thinking, oh, well, if that was really ultimately about Jesus, then maybe I was, I was chasing the wrong thing and, mm. and I was trying to figure out something and I, I wasn't uh, having my attention on God's ultimate purpose in those prophecies about Israel. Yeah. And so, okay, so we had Matthew, right? Well, um, do we have any other verses? Well, certainly. Um, how about from the mouth of Jesus himself? All right. So this is John chapter eight, and we won't read the whole passage because it's 20 verses. It's John eight thirty nine through 59. We'll give you a good chunk of the context. And Jesus is speaking to, uh, to the leaders of the Jews, right? So he's speaking, just keep this in mind. He is speaking to physical descendants of Abraham, right? And, and he's having this discussion with them and they're saying, oh yeah, you know, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said, well, if Abraham were your father, you would do what Abraham did. Yet you seek to kill me, and this Abraham didn't do, right? <laughs> and he says instead, well, you are of 
your father. You do the works of your father. And like, ah, we've never been enslaved and we've, we're not illegitimate children. We have, we have one father, even God, right? And Jesus says, if God was your father, you would believe my words because I sent, I'm sent from him, right? And he says, rather, you, have your, you are of your father, the devil, right? So, so there is a descendants that's not physical, or not necessarily physical. The, the two might overlap, but what's, but what's really important is there's a sense of spiritual descendants here, right? That if they are doing the works of their father, the devil, which Jesus says then is a liar and a murderer from the beginning, right? Um, then they are descended from Satan, right? We can think of, mm. you know, um, anyways, yeah. So, so Jesus says to physical descendants of Abraham, actually Abraham's not your father. Right. And what really gets them, you know, riled up and going to is, you know, you know, Jesus said that Abraham rejoiced to see his day and was glad. Right. So Abraham trusted in, in Christ. So just as a side note, we can put to rest all this stuff that comes up saying that uh, there are three Abrahamic faiths, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. There is only one Abraham only trusted in Christ. There is nothing else. This is what the scriptures teach us. Okay. Abraham, was a Christian. He trusted in Jesus, right? And Jesus says this. He saw his day and was glad. He rejoiced, right? And of course, they want to kill Jesus after he says, before Abraham was, I am, right? So that's I that figured passage, that. Uh, I figured that they wanted to kill Jesus at that moment because he missed the perfect quote where he goes, Abraham's not your father. And then he could have looked at him and like, I am your father, <laughs> Right, that's where George Lucas got that from, right? And then they picked up the stone. (laughs) They picked up the stone, and they were like, "Jesus, come on, man! You could have gone Darth Vader on us, and instead, you chose to drop some truth on us." I thought about that. You're welcome. But Ben, this goes back to what you were saying right at the beginning with Adam and Eve that the message was about repentance and faith, and. And, and with these, these uh, physical descendants of Abraham, these Jews, they were claiming that they were, the, they were true Israel and, and yet um, and descended from Abraham, but they really weren't because they were unrepentant and they were right. not believing in the promise of the Messiah. And so they were not true Israel, even though they were Jews. And, and that's uh, connecting to that theme of unrepentance but then elsewhere we're seeing that people were considered israel when they believed in the promise of the messiah right yeah so it wasn't uh physical descendants that qualified or disqualified them it was faith or unbelief that's why jesus says of nathaniel for example um a true israelite or an israelite indeed right he was he was looking for messiah that's why philip came to him right and said come we found the one of whom Moses and the prophets spoke of, right? Um, that's why Jesus says to Nicodemus that if anyone is to enter the kingdom of God, he must be born of water and spirit. He must be born again or born from above, right? Your physical birth isn't enough, right? Um, or Zacchaeus, upon his repentance, he says he's a true child of Abraham, okay? So, um, yeah, so we have that from, from Christ himself. Uh, we also get this from the Apostle Paul. Um, in numerous places, uh, you can look in Romans chapter 4, uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Romans chapter 9. Um, we don't read all of those, but here's some, here's some snippets from St. Paul. He, and the point that he is making is true descendants of Abraham are those who share Abraham's faith. 
uh, from Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. He says, Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But, quote, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. I don't know how you get much more clear than that. I mean, St. Paul is just laying it out as clear as absolutely possible. It's not about physical descent. It's about having faith in Christ. Okay. Uh, from Romans chapter 2, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Again, not simply outward physical descent. Uh, in Romans chapter 4, speaking of Abraham, St. Paul writes, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, so in... In this, St. Paul brings together another really important thing is that Abraham is the father of the uncircumcised and the circumcised who have faith. That means Jew and Gentile all alike who trust in Christ are Abraham's descendants. Gentiles are not plan B. Uh, they have been God's intention from the beginning along with Jews. The nation of Israel was simply his vehicle to bring that about, um, but they were always included. Um, in salvation and so who is a child of abraham who is the true jew the one who shares abraham's faith that's super important um probably don't have time to read all these other passages so i can just summarize saint paul's are some of the most clear um but in first peter um in chapter 2 verses 9 through 10 uh saint peter applies language that god uses of israel under the old covenant and he applies it to the church he uses the language of so in the old Old Testament, we have Israel spoken of as a kingdom of priests, right? A royal nation, right? A people for God's own possession, right? St. Peter says this of the church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, right? And, he, and that sounds pretty much identical, right? And then he also quotes from Hosea, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Um, and that is um, very much tied to a rejection of unbelieving Israel and the acceptance of all believing Gentiles along with uh, Israel. That's in the context there of Hosea also. Um, Ephesians 2, you know, Paul's point in that is that Jew and Gentile alike are under God's condemnation apart from Christ, and it's by grace we are saved. No other way, no physical descent matters but faith in Christ. Um, and later on in that chapter, uh, he says that by his death on the cross, Christ made peace uh, between Jew and Gentile. He broke down the dividing wall of hostility. Uh, he made out of the two peoples one person, right? And in chapter 3, that the mystery of God in Christ is in part that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Right? So here we go again and again and again, right? Faith in Christ, faith in Christ, faith in Christ. Here we go, right? Um, Hebrews. 
you know, speaking again of all, um, all those who are commended through faith, all the saints of old, that, that they didn't receive what God had promised because they're not going to get it apart from us. So that all of us who trust in Christ, um, all the way up until that last day, we enter as one body into the inheritance in Christ, the new heavens and the new earth and eternal life. And so Abraham is still waiting for us. That's kind of a cool thing that we get to enter with Abraham into the full promise of God given to us. Okay. Um, and in Revelation, we see that picture of every tribe, multitude of every tribe, nation, language, worshiping God before his throne, right? And calling out salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, right? So all throughout, I mean, I know it was fast and it was, you know, huge overview, trying to do bird's eye view, but all throughout, hopefully what rings through over and over and over and over again is the people of God are the people of faith, the people of his promise. It's not about physical descent or physical, you know, or bloodline, but it's about the line of faith, not the, not a bloodline in itself. So, um, you know, who is Israel truly? The people of God, the people who have faith, whether they are Jew or Gentile. This is over and again, what scripture hammers home to us again and again and again and again and again, back from Genesis all the way through to when St. Paul is explaining this so clearly in Romans, um, the children of Abraham are those who share his faith. And that's how it's always been. The people of God have always been the people of faith. I'm, I'm so encouraged by this because as we think about, uh, as especially those verses from Revelation 7 about um, the great multitude, thinking about their people from all tribes and peoples and languages, just like God had promised in, in uh, the Abrahamic promise in Genesis 12, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through the seed of Abraham, the seed of Eve. Um, that's so, so encouraging for a Gentile like me. I'm not, I'm not Jewish like you, Ben, I, but I can partake in this, even though I am from another tribe, you know, and, and that's so cool for all of us to hear. Also, I'm, I'm also kind of uh, encouraged on behalf of the Jewish people too, because sometimes it seems like, um, Man, if if you were trying to think about Israel all uh, ultimately being about national Israel, there's all this pressure put on them to go through all of these things in order to be saved and before the end of time and all of this stuff, and uh, and people have all these complex theories about what needs to happen with national Israel, you know, before the end and for them to be saved. But to know that it's a simple message that that the same message that father Abraham believed that, that uh, God's salvation is in the Messiah that all they need to do is look at Jesus and put their trust in him, the Messiah. And, and they uh, also will uh, be with father Abraham one day in paradise. And it's just such a beautiful, simple message that, and it's consistent throughout all of the scripture passages we've looked at. Um, we've been trying to represent well every part of the Bible, and um, in this one, you know, lesson here. And but this has been God's consistent message throughout, mm -hmm. and and it's such a beautiful, comforting one too to see how God has provided everything in Jesus, and and that it. <clears throat> It's not, uh, 
asking us to do all of these other things, but but the just to put our trust in the Messiah. And, and bringing it back to the gospel, Matt, I think is a fantastic place for us to kind of call it quits today and close. This was a huge topic. I think we easily could have spent three hours discussing different scriptures and just seeing different nuances and, and working through different bits of, you know, answering the question about who Israel is. But ultimately, that first promise uh, back in Genesis 3.15 about the seed of the woman gets refined in Abraham about that seed um, who will become a blessing to the entire world, just like everything else. You know what? It's all about Jesus, right? So, Reverend Natal, would you close us up in a word of prayer today? Um, would you rather me close in prayer, or would you like to make a joyful noise to the Lord and sing Father Abraham a second time? <laughs> I think we should pray. Pretty serious. Once again, once ag there you are again, making the right call. You are on fire today, I am so grateful that we get to share this time together. Wait, what did I do to offend you? Why are you being nice to me? You, you have not offended me, but I need people to know that I do appreciate you and that I am trying to be nice to you as an individual. I don't like this. Be mean. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Gracious Lord, I just thank you for your continuity across the board. I thank you for your love and your mercy and your joy that you continually pour out upon us. And Lord, I thank you for the study today that really pointed out that it is about faith and to show us that the Bible uh, through all of its pages is pointing to the importance of faith and how that faith uh, is then given uh, to us, and we receive righteousness because of it. And so, Lord, I just ask that uh, to each of our listeners that they would continue to trust in you and continue to grow in their relationship with you, Lord, uh, as they continue to go through this study. May they see you uh, and your presence in their life as a tangible thing that they can use moving forward. Uh, and so, Lord, we just uh, lift this up to you, and we thank you for today's study, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks, Mike. <laughs>